as we begin our reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the beginning in verse 13, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I enjoy a good movie. There's been lots of them that I've enjoyed throughout my lifetime. There are some that I have enjoyed less than others, and some more than others, of course. I remember one time I watched the movie Message in a Bottle. Have you seen that movie? If you haven't, don't waste your time. (laughs) We kind of get used to and we expect and anticipate certain things, and one of those things is a happy ending. A happy ending is a fitting way to end a, a good movie. Maybe a little too much so if you get into Hallmark movies, but... If you haven't seen it, what basically the plot is, is you've got a guy who lost his wife that he loved dearly. And so he sends her these messages in a bottle. He put them in and he's out at the sea. And, and uh, he ends up meeting somebody else and they form a closer relationship. And so then obviously the, the kind of the crux of the movie is what is this guy going to do? Is he going to continue to mourn and grieve the loss of his wife that he loved dearly? Is he at some point going to allow himself to live within this new relationship and live happily ever after with her? And, and you know what happens. They're going to get together. That's got to be the end. They're going to get together and live happily ever after. Well, he does kind of come to that point of decision-making where he decides he's going to go and take one last message in a bottle to his wife. And it's his way of kind of bringing some closure in losing his wife and freeing himself to live this new happily ever after scenario. So he goes out in his boat, and he's going to go out and, I believe, drop that bottle off and then go up the coastline. He finds a family that's out there in a smaller boat that's been capsized, and so he gets rescuing the rest of the family, saves two out of three of them, but not able to save the last one, and he drowns. End of movie. It's horrible. I got to the end of the movie and I was like, what a waste of two hours. I sat here for two hours to get that kind of an ending? This is no kind of way to end a movie. We want happy endings. Why is it so ingrained in us to have happy endings? We even get a little bit upset when they have one of those endings where they just don't finish it. And it looks like everything's all set to finish just right, and then the credits come up and you're going, well, hello? What? And so usually in those cases, I just decide, you know what? I know how this is going to end. I just make my own ending and then I can go about my business. (laughs) Because that is clearly the way that it was going to work out. Well, here's the deal. I think we're so hooked on happy endings because we're destined for it. We're intended to have a happy ending. When we see the story of Christianity and you go back in the Garden of Eden and they start off in paradise and everything's great, and then here comes the evil one and then the temptation and they fall to the temptation. And, and what is the storyline then? It's from the curse that we're under within this world and the pain and the suffering that we go through and all that. It's all headed for a, a certain end. And at a certain point, Christ comes in to rescue us, to redeem us. And He redeems us and it's accomplished in the cross. And it's all pointed to this day where finally He's going to come back and completely set everything right. Right now is that decision time. What are we going to do? 
Are we going to embrace life in Christ? Or are we going to continue to struggle under the curse and die in bitterness? Are we going to embrace this new life? The happy ending has been purchased for us in Christ through His death and His resurrection. And I think that's why it's so ingrained within us. You know, I often look at things in our culture and I think the same thing. Years ago when we did our vacation Bible school, we did it on superheroes. And one of the points that I made is, why are we so attracted to superhero? And you know what? It's because we have one. It's because we need one and because we have one. And we have one in Christ. He is the rescuer. He's the one that comes to our aid that gives us life. Why do we have such a need for that happy ending? Because God intends us to have one. And He provides for it in Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that I'm bringing all that up this morning is because that is the one thing above all the other things that that the Thessalonians were wrestling with. They were struggling looking for this happy ending. They were committed to it. They don't seem to be faltering in their faith. They're standing strong and they know that the happy ending has to be in Christ, but they're a little bit confused. They're confused because they're waiting for Christ's return, looking forward to Christ's return. And in that meantime, maybe grandma got sick and you're praying that Christ would come back and he doesn't come back and then grandma didn't make it or grandpa didn't make it or some other family member or friend that was waiting with you faithfully for the return of Christ didn't make it till he came back and their concern is well what did they miss it what 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 happens to them we were all waiting for Christ together and some of us haven't made it what happens to them is there a happy ending here and that's exactly what the apostle paul is communicating to them at this point is Yes, there is that happy ending. And our still being alive and waiting for the return of Christ, it's not going to get in the way of their experience of this happy ending either. And that's really the focus of this whole passage is some instruction concerning this happy ending that we get to look forward to and that they were looking forward to and they were anticipating being here at any time. Well, you know what? This happy ending really kind of boils down to one thing, and it does in actually in each of the movies that I've described and probably every life scenario. It's, the concept of a happy ending is going to come down to one real issue. And you know what that's the issue of? It's the issue of hope. When you are down or depressed and not knowing how things are going to turn out or something, you know, you know what you need more than anything to brighten things up a little bit is hope. You need hope. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to him here. And he's saying, look, I don't want you to be like those who have no hope. There are people with no hope in this world. The only hope that we have is in Christ. And so if you reject the source of hope, then you really don't have hope. The Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. You have hope. In order for them to grasp on to that happy ending, in order for them to recognize the happy ending that God has in plan and in store for them, there's one thing that's going to have to be a part of their life, and that is, that's hope. And so as we look at that, this idea of a happy ending, it's going to be expressed in connection with hope all the way down through this passage. Now the first thing that we see within the passage, find in verse 13, is a priority, the priority of hope. Because even as we just mentioned, it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He says, we're going to inform you of some things. We're going to teach you about some things. Why? Because we don't want you to not have hope. Because if you don't have hope, what are you going to do? You're going to grieve. You're going to grieve like others do. Others that find themselves in a hopeless situation. The Christian is never without hope. Because our hope extends beyond even the length of your days on this earth. Our hope extends beyond any level of health that you might have. Our hope extends beyond any level of wealth 
that you might have. Our hope goes right to the very throne of God and right to an eternity spent with Him and accomplished for us through the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so we are never without hope. But He recognizes that there's a priority of hope here. Because if we do not have this hope, then we will grieve like those who don't have it. It's kind of like Matt Zradka mentioned to me yesterday. He says, I love that old Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. We always have a rest of the story in Christ. And so we always have hope in Him. And that hope is necessary for us to not grieve. That hope is necessary for us to not be depressed like the rest of the world can get depressed. That hope is a very necessary part of our life. You know, as we've mentioned from earlier in the book, hope is one of the three foundational pillars of the Christian life. Remember back in chapter 1 and verse 3. He said, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. Hope is necessary for us to not grieve. Hope is also necessary for us to remain steadfast. To have the the ability to keep on keeping on. To keep going. To hang in there when when times are tough. Hope provides that. And so hope is a priority in the Word of God. You often find these three things linked together. Faith, hope, and love. And they were encouraged by these for these same things. But it's interesting, as you follow through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you'll find that, that faith, for example, he's going to continue to mention many times between chapter 1, verse 3, and the passage that we're dealing with right now. In uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, He says, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. With faith, all the way through this book, he's been encouraged by their faith. He's been strengthened in their faith. Sends Timothy to strengthen their faith and to check out their faith. And when they get good news about how they are in their faith, then they celebrate it. And, And so he's very much all about their faith. He's also very much about their love that they have for one another. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, remember we, we focused on that just recently. He said, we don't even need to write to you. We don't need to write to you about, about love. And he, he made a similar comment about faith too. Remember back in chapter 1, dealing with their faith spreading all over Macedonia, he said, we don't even need to write anything about faith because your faith has already done the job. Your faith is spread. We don't really need to write to you about love. Because you are taught by God to love one another. You just, the nature of God in you shows you, teaches you to love one another. So we don't need to write to you about love. But notice, out of the trio, something's missing here. He mentions hope in that very first statement in chapter 1, verse 3, and he doesn't mention it again until chapter 4. He doesn't commend them anymore for their hope, even though he did talk about their steadfastness of hope early on. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know, we don't need to talk to you about hope. Actually, we find the opposite. So I think that's exactly what the word but in verse 13 in chapter 4 is referring to. Remember, he just got done saying about brotherly love, we don't even need to write to you about brotherly love. He'd already said that about faith. But we don't want you to be uninformed. And what is he going to talk to him about now? Hope. He's going to talk to him about hope. In other words, we didn't need to write to you about faith. We didn't need to write to you about love. You know what? I really need to write to you about hope. You see, hope is a thing they're struggling in. Hope is a thing that they're like, what about grandma and grandpa? What's happening there? Where's the, where's the happy ending in this? And the Apostle Paul says, you know what? I need to spend some, in the next part of this letter, just giving you a good understanding of some things that are going to happen and the way they're, that they're going to unfold. Why? Because your hope is a priority. Just like love was a priority and faith was a priority, hope is a priority. 
When you get into chapter 5 and verse 8, he's going to have all three of them coupled back together again. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, hope, just like faith and just like love, is a priority in our life. We need to understand some things about what God's plan is for us so that we can have this great hope, so that we remain steadfast, so that when hard times come, we don't grieve and we don't become overly depressed because we have Christ. And in Christ, we always have hope. Well, not only do we see the priority of hope, but we also see the procurement of hope. You see, Jesus purchased it for us. He, he procured it for us. He, he, he accomplished it. What is, what is our hope come from? How did he, how did he purchase it? How did he procure it for us? It is through, it's through the gospel. In chapter 4 and verse 14, he spells that out for us. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, all throughout this passage, he's gonna contrast these two groups of people. He keeps saying those who have fallen asleep. In verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. In verse 14, he talks again about those who have fallen asleep. In verse 15, again, he he refers to them the same way. Those who have fallen asleep, right toward the end of verse 15. In verse 16, toward the end of verse 16, the dead in Christ. And that's all saying the same thing. And then he's comparing that to twice he mentions, if you look in verse 15, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. And then in verse 17, we who are alive and who are left. And so he's saying those who have already died and died in the Lord, they were trusting in Christ, but they, but they went to sleep, they died in Christ. What is their relationship? What is their situation compared to those who are left, who haven't died in Christ, who still remain in anticipating the Lord's return? Well, as we look at it, you've got to go back to the basics. Everything that we have is in Christ. We believe that Jesus died. Your grandma, your grandpa died. Your loved ones, your friends died. Jesus died. But that's not the only thing that happened to Jesus. What else happened to Jesus? Jesus rose again. And you see, we're in Him. If He rises, we rise. He dies, we die. That's the connection. And He's saying we believe that not only did Jesus die, but also that He rose again from the dead. And so He's making that connection to us. And so that's how. How do we have this hope? Why do we have this hope? God has given us for a foundation for our hope the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, our faith is not just a a warm fuzzy that exists out there somewhere, and that's not what our hope is anchored in. Our faith is rooted in an actual historical event. Jesus Christ died on that cross in your place and mine. And Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And in doing so, He procured our salvation. He bought our future in eternity. And that's what we're banking on. You know, Corinthians in chapter 15, which is labeled the resurrection chapter, that's exactly where he begins. He begins in verses 1-4. through four. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, you believed without a cause. or There's, there's no real faith to, to what you said you believe. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. 
And so he anchors our hope for a resurrection ourselves, which he's going to deal with later in the passage. He anchors our hope to the resurrection of Christ. How do we know we're going to be risen again from the dead? Because Christ rose from the dead. Well, how do we know that Christ rose from the dead? Well, he goes on from there and says, well, I saw him. But he says, not only me, he says, the, the, the twelve, the twelve saw him alive again after he was risen from the dead. Peter, James, John, all those guys. Not only that, but on one instance, over 500 people. And when he's writing to them back at that time, he says, most of them are still alive. In other words, you can go ask them yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. We know he rose again from the dead. It's a historical fact. When the Apostle Paul would be on, in, in, on trial, he would say to the people accusing him or, or trying him, he would say, look into it yourself. This didn't happen in a closet. Everybody knows about this. And so he says, absolutely, Christ rose again from the dead. Well, if Christ absolutely rose again from the dead, then you know what? Because of your faith, you too will rise again. That's what our baptism is all about, signifying that we're dead with Him and we're alive with Him. And so we have this incredibly bright hope. And so Christ procured our hope. There is life beyond the grave. There is a resurrection from the, among the dead. And Jesus Christ purchased that for us. Well, then also he goes into the process of hope. Now, in the process of hope, he lists two things that we find within the passage. The first one is to inform. He started out in verse 13, and he says, but we do not want you to be, notice, uninformed. He's saying there are some things that you don't understand here, and we need to, we need to help you understand them. We need to inform you about these things. And so he's going to bring to them some, some new knowledge. He's going to teach them more precisely exactly what's going to happen as we come down toward the end. What has happened to grandma and grandpa? What's the situation with them right now if they've passed away already? If I don't make it to the return of Christ, what, what will my situation be? And he's just going to go through and he's, he's, going to, he's going to inform them. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed. You know, I've found that that's usually a way to gain hope in a situation is to gain knowledge. I know there's lots of times when I have a project ahead of me that I'm a little intimidated by. You know what I've also found? As soon as I get into it and start to learn and start to dig into it, uh, the path through it starts to open up and you start to be able to see. It becomes much less intimidating. What's happened? New information. New knowledge. Well, that's what the Apostle's doing with them here. He's saying, look, we don't want you to be uninformed. If you're informed, it's going to lead to hope. Hope is going to overcome grief. If you remain uninformed, you don't have anything to propel you towards hope. And if you don't have hope, how are you going to handle the grief? You'll be like somebody without hope. And he says, you're not without hope. If you're in Christ, you're somebody with always has hope. There's always hope. He informs them. Well, secondly, we see that he uses encouragement. We're supposed to use information. It's through our understanding of the Word of God that our hope can increase and our grief shrinks. But then also we're supposed to take that information and we're supposed to use that as an encouragement in one another's life. Notice how he ends the passage in verse 18. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. In fact, it's interesting. He's going to go on to to expand their understanding to focus on the day of the Lord, which we'll deal with next week. He's going to expand their understanding of end times events and those kind of things, what's going to happen in chapter 5. And then notice what he does in chapter 5 when he gets to the end of that passage also. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. 
Why does God give us the information that he's given to us within the word of God? Because he wants us to take it and encourage one another with it. When we're going through a tough time, you know what we need? We need other believers in Christ to step in alongside of us and remind us of the hope that we have. Share some of the information that we see within Scripture and how we're not beyond hope and that we have a very bright and blessed future. We need to be taking the things that we find within the Bible and using those in an encouraging way with one another. The Apostle Paul has already been doing it with these people. Throughout the book we've seen he keeps hitting on this idea of the return of Christ. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you, notice how he describes them coming to faith, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. You're waiting for His Son from heaven. That's a big part of our faith. In chapter 2, verse 19, he focuses, he says, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting uh, before the Lord Jesus at His coming? And then he points out it's them, it's you that we're going to be boasting about. But notice, where is His focus? At the return of Christ, at Jesus' coming, what are we going to be all excited about? The Apostle Paul is all about making sure that whatever he's going to be excited about when Christ returns is the same thing that he's excited about today. You know what? If that's our goal, if that's our destination, then really today ought to be lived in light of that day. And the Apostle Paul, in a lot of his writings, you find him often referencing that day. Then also in chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, so that he may establish your hearts, talking about Timothy going to them and establishing their faith, or actually God, I'm sorry, God establishing their hearts, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So again, the Apostle Paul, as he's communicating to these Thessalonians, that he is focused on the day that Christ returns. You see, the Apostle Paul is already involved in encouraging these Thessalonians He wants them to be focused on the return of Christ. He wants them to understand some things about the return of Christ so that their hope is strengthened. So that they're going to take this information that they get and they're going to use it to encourage one another and they're all going to grow in their hope which is going to diminish their grief and and encourage them to be steadfast. Lastly, we're going to see the information that he gives them. It's the plan of hope. Because you see, what he's going to allude to and let them in on is what is God's plan. How are all these things going to unfold? Where is Grandma and Grandpa right now? What's happened to them? And we find that he's going to deal with it in two different things. First of all is the resurrection. In chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing these people and they're worried that they've lost Grandma and Grandpa forever. What's, What's happening with Grandma and Grandpa? The Apostle writes to them and he says, you know what? You're still waiting. You're still here waiting for the return of Christ. If Christ was to come today, he says, you know what? You're not holding them back. In fact, they're going to beat you to it. As he points out two things within the passage. He says, one, when Christ comes, He's going to bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. In other words, just like Paul said in Philippians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When somebody of faith dies, the moment they die, they go to be with Christ. Their body goes in the grave, but their soul, their spirit, goes to be with Christ. And so when Christ comes back, He's bringing with Him 
those who have fallen asleep in Christ, the dead in Christ. And what's the very first thing that's going to happen? The graves are going to open. And their bodies are going to come out glorified, a new body. And the resurrection of the dead is going to happen and they're going to be reunited with their bodies. They're going to be resurrected first. Christ is coming back with their souls and their bodies are going to be raised. That which is mortal is going to be put on immortality. That which was sown in weakness is going to put on strength. That which was frail is going to become strong. And they are going to be resurrected from the dead. And then, not until then, but it all happens really fast. It talks about like twinklings of eyes and things like that at a trumpet blast, then we will be caught up to be with them in the air. And so he's saying, look, we haven't, we haven't missed out. They haven't missed out. There's going to be the resurrection and then there's also going to be what we call the rapture. And so he says, he looks at the resurrection, he's saying, look, they're not lost. In fact, where are they? They're with Christ. When they return, they're going to be coming back with Christ. What is our relationship to them? You know, we're going to be caught up to be with them. We're going to be with them. And we're going to be all be together forever then with the Lord. And so we're going to be with the Lord and we're going to be with them. And they're already with one another. They're already with Christ. And so we're not holding them back. In fact, they're beating us there. But then we also see the rapture in chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so this is what we always refer to as the rapture. Now, some people that don't believe in this would often point out to us that the word rapture does not occur in the Bible. It's not really a very honest argument. If you read an English Bible, can you go to Strong's Concordance and punch in the word rapture and will it come up? No, it won't come up. The English word rapture doesn't come up. The reason we use the word rapture is because of another language. It's because of Latin. Back in the day, when the church was still fairly new, All the theologians were using Latin. So when they talked about what would happen to believers at the return of Christ, they used a Latin word for it. The Latin word is raptural. Do you know what the Latin word raptural means? It means to be caught up. And when you read your English Bible, what does it say? We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. And so to say that the word rapture isn't in the Bible is not really true. The concept of a rapture is absolutely in the Bible. He wants their hope to flourish, just like their faith flourished, just like their love flourished. What's going to cause that hope to flourish? A little bit of information. And he gives them that information. Where are grandma and grandpa? Or where are the other believers that you know that didn't make it to the return of Christ? They're with him. They're with him. They're fine. In fact, they're better than you. And what happens on the day Christ returns? They're going to come with him. And then their bodies will be resurrected to be reunited with their souls, with their spirits. They haven't missed out on a thing. They're going to be first in line. And then the rest of us who are alive at that time will be caught up to be with Him in the air. You know, this passage is extremely important to me. This is the passage that I shared at my father-in-law's funeral. Because I'm so glad that we have the hope of the resurrection. My grandma... Lived a long life. She lived well into her 80s. My grandma always wanted to live till Christ returned. But she didn't make it. She just thought, it's going to be an amazing thing when all of a sudden Christ just shows up. And she's right. It is going to be an amazing thing. And she wanted to experience that. She wanted to be there when that happened. See that happen. But she didn't make it. But you know what? She's still going to see it. 
she's still going to experience it. In fact, if Christ comes in my lifetime, she's going to beat me to it. <laughs> well, you know what the point is, Christian? If you put your faith in Christ, whether you always understand it very well or not, you have a happy ending. And to be able to enjoy this happy ending and live the life that God has for us in a proper way, recognizing that happy ending, it takes hope. You have to be a person of strong hope. Now, in order to be a person of strong hope, the first step is recognizing where we get that. It's Jesus who procured it for us. It's, it's Jesus who bought our, our salvation. It's through His death and resurrection that we have a resurrection from the dead. We also need to grow in our understanding and the information that the Bible has given us to help us to increase our hope. And as we focus on the plan that God has for us, we recognize that we are a people of great opportunity for hope.